It's around 1 a.m. on December 18, 1994, a pleasant summer night in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, and 27-year-old Alison Botha is behind the wheel of her car, which she lovingly calls Reginald. She's headed home after a wonderful day with friends. They spent some time at the beach and ended off the night with some pizza, wine, and board games. As Allison pulls up to her suburban flat, she notices she's lost her usual parking spot, right out front. So she continues on, finding a spot not too far ahead. She pulls in, parks Reginald, and leans toward the passenger seat to grab a pile of fresh laundry to bring inside. Suddenly, the driver's side door forcibly swings open, and standing right there is an unfamiliar man, tall, blonde, and skinny, holding a knife. Before she can even process what she's seeing, the man holds the knife to her throat. Move over, or I'll kill you. He calmly directs, ushering Allison into the passenger seat. The man climbs into the driver's seat and clutches the wheel. As the car begins to move, Allison debates jumping out. But she can't. She feels frozen, petrified. She's in disbelief. It's all happening so fast. This isn't happening. This can't be happening. Don't worry. I won't hurt you. I just need to use your car for an hour. He assures her. Can you let me go and just take the car? She asks. No. I want company. I just need to find my friend. He owes me money. He replies. After some time, the driver stops and lets another man in the back seat. This man is short, built, and has a quiet but aggressive demeanor. As the two men chat, she overhears their names. Franz and Tiunes. The journey carries on with a helpless Allison trapped in the passenger seat of her own car, speeding further and further away from civilization. The car comes to a stop again, this time in a desolate clearing off the side of the road, completely shielded from sight. This is where Allison is raped by Franz and Tunes. Now, if we take you back into town, are you going to tell police? Franz asks. She tells him she won't. What do you think old Nick would want us to do with her? He asks Tunes. Allison knows that old Nick is another name for Satan. I think he wants us to kill her. Tunes replies tauntingly. Suddenly, Franz is on top of Allison, with his hands around her throat, staring directly into her eyes, strangling her. Everything 
goes black. Allison snaps back to consciousness to find herself outside of the car, lying on her back in the sand, with Tiyun's hovering over her. It takes her a moment to process what he's doing, cutting her throat. Franz shoves Tayun's aside and takes over, slashing Allison's throat over and over and over. And then it stops. Do you think she's dead? She hears one ask. No one can survive that, the other replies. And with that, Franz and Tayun's return to Allison's car throw her clothes out the window, and speed off. Lying in the sand, naked, alone, and unable to control her breathing, Allison begins to accept certain death. She takes her final moments to write a message in the sand. Friends, tunes, I love Mom. But then, off in the distance, she sees a set of headlights in the road. With a sudden burst of hope, Allison decides she's going to try crawling there for help. But as she positions herself on all fours, she realizes her neck isn't her only wound. Friends and Tiyuns stabbed her multiple times in the abdomen and pubic area as well, disemboweling her. She can see her insides. But Allison is not willing to give up now. She gathers her spilling innards in one of the shirts Friends and Tiyuns had thrown out the window and holds them to her stomach. Realizing the crawling isn't going to work, she triumphantly rises to her feet. Then, everything goes black again. Her head had fallen back, barely able to cling to her body. She realizes she needs to hold her head forward to keep it in place. Holding her intestines in one hand and keeping her head from flopping back with the other, Allison pushes forward. It was as if someone else had taken my feet and was moving them for me. And the next thing I knew, I was in the road. She recalls in the 2016 film Allison. She collapses in the middle of the road. It's now around 2.30 a.m., an hour and a half since she was abducted at Knife Point. Allison's field of vision fills with the glow of headlights. A car is approaching. It stops. Salvation. But nobody gets out. And it rolls on by. Maybe they thought it was a trap. Moments later, the street lights up again. This time, 
with multiple sets of headlights. The first to approach Allison is a woman who just screams at the sight of her. Not helpful. Emergency services are called, and a small crowd forms around her. Among the crowd is a man named Tion Eilard, who has veterinary training. Tion kneels down, takes the shirt off his own back to cover her up, grabs her hand, looks her in the eye, and tells her, everything is going to be okay. Keep breathing. Stay with me. Help is on the way. He notices her thyroid is severed and exposed, so he tucks it back into the wound. It takes two hours for the ambulance to arrive. Tion doesn't leave her side. He even accompanies her for the ambulance ride. They make it to the hospital with Allison barely clinging on to life. Hospital staff takes over, and Tion has to let go of her hand. He tells her not to worry, that everything will be okay, and he'll see her when she gets out. Allison is somehow able to sign a surgery consent form in this state. She even manages to write her mom's phone number so someone can contact her. Hospital staff are amazed by the strength of this unlikely survivor. Dr. Common, the anesthetist, and Dr. Angelov, the surgeon, examine the state of Allison. She has over 50 stab wounds. Her neck has been cut at least 16 times from ear to ear, severing her anterior muscles, windpipe, and thyroid. A tiny nick to the thyroid can cause death, and hers is completely severed in half. The main veins are sliced, but the main arteries and her vocal cords aren't. The severing of the windpipe was what caused Allison to regain consciousness. It's the reason she's able to breathe. Had Tian not tucked her exposed thyroid back into the wound, she would have died on the road. She has multiple stab wounds to the chest, but none of them damaged vital organs like her heart or lungs. She's been disemboweled by over 35 stab wounds to her lower abdomen. Her small intestine is outside of her body, covered in debris, and ruptured from the stabbing. Had her bowels not evacuated when she was strangled, this likely would have caused a fatal infection. In the novel, I Have Life, Allison's Journey, as told to Marianne Tham, Dr. Angelov recalls, They were angry, violent, and cruel wounds, and I wondered what kind of savages had done this to her. I've seen many injuries as a doctor, but the severe cruelty of these wounds 
really shocked me. Surgery begins at 5 a.m. And by 8.35 a.m., surgery is complete. In the novel, Dr. Angelov also expresses how she survived, I did not know. I am a scientist, but this case, I have to admit to myself, was truly a miracle. In the film Allison, Dr. Common says, I've always thought it a bit of a cop-out to ascribe things that you don't understand to miracles. But these events most certainly have led me out of my strict scientific appreciation to believe that things happen for a purpose. That's probably a good definition of a miracle. In I Have Life, Allison writes, Only 1% of me believed that night that I would make it to the road. The rest of me, every fiber of my being, did not believe it. Yet it was that tiny percentage of hope and belief that enabled me to try and crawl another centimeter, to take just one more step. That 1% of me overrode the rest, and miracles happened. The seemingly impossible was accomplished. I survived. Allison wakes up from surgery to a hospital room completely loaded with flowers. She receives visits from family and friends, and she's elated to see that Tian is still there. That day, officers present her with a lineup of photos of possible suspects. Allison points to a photo of Franz. 26-year-old Franz Dutoy, a married man with a two-year-old son. He has a criminal record already. In February of 1994, Franz alone had abducted and raped a woman at gunpoint, threatening to kill her if she went to police. She was terrified, but reported it a week later. There was no physical evidence, so he was let go. Then, on December 4, 1994, only two weeks before Allison's attack, Franz joined up with 19-year-old Tiunes Kruger, and together they abducted and raped a pregnant woman. She reported it right away, but Franz and Tiunes got out on bail. Franz and Tiunes preemptively decided they'd kill their next victim, who turned out to be Allison. And if Allison hadn't survived to catch them, they would have killed again that afternoon. That was their plan. They were going to throw their next victim off a bridge, then flee. But Franz and Tiunes are arrested before they can carry out their next attack. They're both in utter shock when they find out Allison survived, 
and confess to everything immediately. Detective Melvin Humple delivers the good news to Allison. We've got them, and we've found your car. They're in custody now for questioning. Don't worry, they won't get bail. Allison is discharged from the hospital on New Year's Eve, 1994. She decides to get rid of Reginald the car. In February, only two months after the brutal attack, Allison returns to work as an insurance broker. Come March, Allison has to point out Franz and Tiyun's in an ID parade. She nails it. Allison's ability to cope is just as incredible as her survival. In I Have Life, she writes, I could surrender my life to those total strangers who had tried to kill me, or I could honor myself and find a new meaning to life. I was determined not to let them take my sanity, my confidence, my character, my personality. If I remained angry at friends and Tiyuns, I would be giving them power over my life. But, of course, nobody can avoid the impact of such severe trauma. I highly recommend the aforementioned book, in which Allison takes you through her harrowing journey of recovery. The trial begins on June 12, 1995. Headlines are calling it the Nordhoek Ripper Trial. Right away, the defense attorney representing Franz and Tiunes quits for ethical reasons. What these ethical reasons are remain unknown. The other victims of Franz and Tiunes testify. A 20-year-old woman who was attacked by just Franz and a 21-year-old pregnant woman who was assaulted by both of them. Then a surprise witness takes the stand. The woman who almost became their next victim. In the afternoon, just hours after Allison's attack, Franz and Tiunes attempted to get in her car, but she locked her doors just in time, and they ran off. Next, Allison testifies, bravely recounting her story to the courtroom. At one point, she says, I always thought my neck was a strong feature of my appearance. Look at my neck now. Of Allison's testimony, a member of the public was quoted in the local newspaper saying, It was as if someone who should have been dead was testifying about her murder. Tian Eilard, the man who saved Allison's life on the road that night, and Dr. Angelov, the miracle surgeon, testify as well. Dr. Angelov states, To be honest, it's a miracle that I'm standing here and not the pathologist. Then, Franz Dutoy takes the stand in his own defense. He says he grew up in a devout Christian household 
with a father on the police force, but found Satanism and began to rebel at the age of 13. He talks about setting buildings on fire, listening to heavy metal, demons, witches, rituals, black magic, and supernatural powers. His parents sent him off to the army while he was in high school, where he served for a little over a year. He then married a woman who bore him a baby girl. He abandoned her and their 18-month-old baby because she didn't satisfy him sexually and moved to Port Elizabeth, where he tried to hold a job with the help of his parents, but failed repeatedly. He remarried in 1993 and had a baby boy. In June of 1994, he met Tiuns. He was illegally selling liquor, and Tiuns was buying. They bonded over their devotion to Satanism and became fast friends. Tiuns, being the much younger and more impressionable of the two, looked up to Franz. Six months later, they committed their first abduction and rape as a pair. Franz says Incubus, the demon that possesses him, is responsible for his crimes. But he claims he's now denouncing Satanism, and underwent an exorcism with a pastor two days before the trial began to cast out Incubus. Franz says he stabbed Allison multiple times in the lower abdomen because Incubus told him to destroy her kidneys, liver, and reproductive organs. Tiunes was the first to cut her throat. Franz claims he went berserk at the sight of all the blood and shoved Tiunes aside so he could take over again. He tells the courtroom, that they made breakfast using the bloody knife later that morning. Tiunes does not take the stand. However, a clinical psychologist speaks about his past on his behalf. He had a rough childhood. His father had abandoned his mother while she was pregnant with him. She remarried, and her new husband was abusive to Tiunes. Tiunes had a third nipple, and was bullied relentlessly about it in school. He later had it removed. Tiunes abandoned high school to join the army, and claimed that during his time in the army he blew a woman's head off because she swore at the police. Throughout the trial, Tiunes appears amused. Franz shows no emotion whatsoever. The trial comes to a close on August 7, 1995, on charges of kidnapping, indecent assault, rape, robbery, and attempted murder, Franz Dutoy is sentenced to three consecutive life terms, and Tiuns Kruger is sentenced to life in prison, plus 25 years. As the two are taken to their cells, Tiunes bangs on the wall and yells, Here we go! Fuck you all! After the trial, Allison falls into a deep depression. During this depression, 
she receives an invitation to give a public speech. Allison, being as strong and incredible as she is, accepts. She tells her story of survival and recovery, and it makes her feel a bit better. So she does it again. And again. And never stops. She leaves her insurance broker job, and this becomes her new career. Allison is still giving inspirational speeches today. In I Have Life, she writes, Finally, I had found a way of giving back something to the world, and of finding meaning in what had happened to me. If I could outweigh the bad with good, I could turn the experience into something positive and meaningful. Allison is one of the first women in South Africa to speak publicly about rape, and became a catalyst for easing the stigma of shame surrounding it. Against all odds, Allison goes on to bear two healthy baby boys, with no complications. She was told she would never be able to have kids. Tian Eilard, the man who saved Allison's life on the road, was inspired to become a doctor after the experience. He assisted with the birth of Allison's second baby. Franz Dutoy's father, a former policeman, committed suicide two years after the trial. He couldn't bear with what his son had done. In 2012, a new bill was passed in South Africa that allows Franz Dutoy and Tiunz Kruger to apply for parole every two years. So far, they've been denied. There's still a petition up to keep them behind bars. The link to sign it will be in the show notes. For Allison's full story, Check out the 2016 film Allison and the novel I Have Life, Allison's Journey, as told to Marianne Tham. In the novel, Allison states, I am a different person today. I can never be the same Allison. I can never make what happened to me go away. But I have, by adopting a positive attitude, not allowed it to remain a burden. It is not holding me back. <laughs>